0: Uh, it's great to be back with you. I, uh, I, wonder, I wonder what you think of when you hear the term traveling mercies. M- maybe it's an age thing, and I, I don't want to be get myself in trouble, but some of us might instantly think of a prayer that we pray as we bundle into the car, and we pray for traveling mercies, which basically means safety on your journey. Um, but that was a little phrase that came to mind. Uh, it certainly came to my mind as I was preparing for the new teaching series that we're going to go on. And so we're going to be looking at the book of Exodus, and we're going to be picking it up from chapter 16, the end of chapter 15, start of chapter 16, through to chapter 20, uh, between now and the start of December, when we'll turn our attention to Advent. Can you believe it? Christmas is coming. Uh, But for now, I I thought it would be helpful to to set the scene a little bit in terms of Exodus, in terms of what we're going to see as we journey through these uh, five-ish chapters. Um, And one of the things that I think we will see is the traveling mercies that the Israelites experience as they journey from the Red Sea the whole way to Mount Sinai. And so we're, we're, we're going to think about that journey that they make, and we're going to continually see, this is not a spoiler alert, but we will continue to see the gracious and merciful and, and providing the hand of God on them as they journey. And one of the, the remarkable things about God's display of his kindness to his Israelite people is, is their reaction in the midst of it all. See, it would seem to us, <laughs> thankfully it's not up to us, but it would seem to us that, that their actions and their words, that they don't deserve the kindness and the mercy and the grace that God shows them. Um, but then, that, that's exactly the point of grace, isn't it? Grace is, is undeserved favor. It's not a proportionate response based on the behavior of someone. In fact, it's the exact opposite. It's a generous, generous outpouring of blessing and favour regardless of their behaviour. It's not a proportionate response based on behaviour. It's a generous outpouring regardless of that behaviour. That's grace. And that's what we see God displaying for his people in these chapters. And so this morning what I would like to do is almost split the sermon in two. And so what I would like us to do first of all is to set the scene with some broad brushstrokes about the book of Exodus, about what we learn there, about what it might mean For us, maybe even some of the questions that we have as we approach the book of Exodus. Uh, Then we're going to pause and then I'm going to pick up from the end of chapter 15. um, We'll spend some time thinking about the verses there. Um, Because I think that will be helpful for us uh, in a number of ways. Uh, You see, some of us are more familiar with the book of Exodus than others. Uh, Some of us maybe have a variety of opinions about the book itself and what it has to teach us. Uh, And so, as I said, we're going to spend some time at the end of chapter 15. We're going to paint some broad brushstrokes. And then in the weeks that follow, we'll unpack these chapters, chapter 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Um, so there's a lot to fit in this morning, but hopefully it will be clear as we go through. Um, So firstly, let me try to set the scene. As I mentioned, we're in the book of Exodus. Uh, Many of you will hopefully remember that we spent some considerable time in the book of Exodus uh, back in 2019. In fact, it was this time from September to November 2019 that we spent nine weeks in the first 15 chapters of this great book. And when we were there, we considered some of the characteristics of God. As we see them in his dealings with his people, um, and so we, we called the series "someone something." Can, can anyone remember what we called that series? Thank you very much. Yes, God is, and so we saw that in that series, God is oh, uh, that God is in control. He is still at work. He is personal. He is missional. God is promise keeping. God is powerful, provider, just. God is praiseworthy, and of course, as we said then, and we need to say again those characteristics of God are not just on display in those first 15 chapters of Exodus. No, we see those characteristics throughout the rest of the book, throughout the whole of Scripture indeed. But it was an exciting journey through those first 15 chapters. And those first 15 chapters, they they cover a lengthy period of time in the the history of the people of Israel. They they plot the course right from a single family move to the nation of Egypt right until they leave as a mighty nation. And so in chapter 1, we see the man... Jacob, Israel, moved to Egypt to be reunited with his son, Joseph. And together, his whole family settled in part of the land. And and the people there, over the generations, they grow, uh, not only in in terms of um, the the population size, but also in their influence. Uh, And over those generations, there's a leadership change in Egypt. And the new pharaoh looked at the growing and prosperous Israelite people, and, and he saw a threat. And so he enslaved them, he treated them harshly. But throughout that time, God had never left his people. And indeed, uh, in response to their cries, he he appoints and equips a man who would lead them out of Egypt uh, to the land that God had promised them. That that man, of course, was Moses. And after a number of miraculous and and powerful and devastating displays of God's power and provision, his people were indeed set free. And as they left the land, God gave them a, a powerful reminder of his saving and redeeming work in their lives. It was to become known as the Passover meal. It accompanied the final display of God's power to the Egyptians. And it was also a display of God's power to save those who trust in him. And not only would this Passover meal become a significant reminder for the Israelite people as they would journey through the centuries, but it would be a vivid image for for all of us of the ultimate and spiritual salvation that was to come in the person of Jesus Christ. And so our journey last year ended on the the banks of the Red Sea, where where once again the the people had witnessed God's miraculous saving power. They were looking back over the body of water, which had been opened up for them so that they could walk through on dry ground before the walls crashed in on the pursuing Egyptian troops. And so we left them singing God's praises in chapter 15 for, for the many ways in which they'd witnessed his wonderful character being displayed, the many ways in which they had seen that indeed God is in control, still at work, personal, missional, promise-keeping, powerful, provider, just, and praiseworthy. And in many ways, chapter 15 sounds like a wonderful place to conclude the, the book of Exodus. It, it's a, it, but in reality, it's, it's just the beginning of the next stage. It, it's certainly not the end. They had left Egypt, yes, They had been freed from oppression, yes, but they were not in the land that God had promised them yet. There are still 25 chapters of this great book left. There's still much for this nation to learn and experience. And so for us as hearers and readers of this book, there's much for us to learn and experience too. But, But what is there in the rest of the book? What fills these next 25 chapters? What is there for us to learn and experience as we work through some of these in the weeks to come? Well, for those who who may have spent some time reading through Exodus before, maybe you've been around church for a while, uh, you may recall some of the headline stories from the book. And not just what we've seen in the first 15 chapters, you know, Moses in the basket, the the plagues, the Red Sea. um, But maybe you're also bringing to mind, as we move on now from chapter 16 onwards, maybe your mind goes to the Ten Commandments, which Paul uh, pointed us to in Exodus 20. Maybe you're familiar with the, the, the account of the people creating a golden calf to worship. In chapter 32 and beyond. Uh, Maybe you're even aware of the, the detailed description that God gives to Moses of the tabernacle that should be built as a place for his people to worship him. Incredible detail in those descriptions. And all of those headline events, if you want to call them that, they're good, they're true. As I said, we'll encounter some of them as we head towards chapter 20. But I wonder if many of us find ourselves generally unfamiliar with this book of scripture. I wonder maybe even do we carry some preconceptions about this book that that keeps us at arm's length from it at times? I wonder do we feel that in parts it's difficult to understand, that maybe even makes us a bit uncomfortable at times? And so I wonder if Exodus is one of those books that that, that if we're honest, a a skimmed over summary of of the headline events is maybe more comfortable for us at times than an in-depth look at what God has to say in his word. In this portion so so perhaps we hear exodus and we think law we think old testament we think judgment we think wilderness uh, and so we wonder what this wonderful book has uh, has to be relevant for us as 21st century christians in our lives maybe we even wonder if spending time in this book is really necessary in light of the coming of jesus maybe we think that, that we're new testament christians Uh, And so we're not under the Old Testament law. Rather, we live in relationship with God under his grace. So why should we spend great time in this book? Well, if I could give just some brief answers to those questions as a way of setting the scene for the weeks that are going to come. I'd like to make very clear that there is no difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New. In fact, those phrases don't even really exist. We have one God. He is timeless, eternal, All-powerful, all-sufficient, saving, gracious, merciful, provider throughout all of Scripture. We don't see one side of his character in the Old Testament and another side in the New. No, God doesn't change in the 400 years between the Testaments. His character is still the same. His ability is still the same. And so we worship and serve one God. And so if we want to see more, the fullest picture possible of his character, then we need to immerse ourselves in all of Scripture. And that includes the Old Testament. Secondly, maybe we need to think about what this Old Testament law means for our lives as we, as we are those who are saved by grace, for those of us who know and trust Jesus. So, so we, we, we've received this wonderful gift that God's grace has come to us through Jesus Christ as this lavish gift. It, it's, a, it's a remarkable thing. God has purchased our salvation at a, a devastating cost to himself. That's the wonder of the good news of Jesus. That is the gospel message. But that reality doesn't make the law then worthless or irrelevant somehow. No, the law continues to show the the righteous and holy standard that, that all of us who follow Jesus should seek to live by. Now, now, we don't have time to go into this in the detail that it so rightly deserves. Um, but if you do want to wrestle with it a little bit more, because I suggest reading uh, Romans 4, 5, 6, and 7? Uh, There you'll see Paul wrestle with some of those questions of law and faith, grace and obedience. See, it's not the case, as as we read all of Scripture, it's not the case that the law came first in the Old Testament and then grace came with Jesus. We, We don't see that distinction. Grace was being shown by God before the Ten Commandments were given. The two, grace and law, they're not as separate as we might assume. And it's important for us to recognize when we come to books like Exodus, where we sometimes think that there is this great difference, there might be that big divide. But in the book of Exodus, what we see is God rescuing his people, then giving them the law. Kevin DeYoung has put it brilliantly when he says, first we have gospel, and by gospel there, I, I think he's meaning that that story of rescue of salvation. First we have gospel, then we have law in the narrative of Exodus. Then he really interestingly puts it like this. God did not come to the people in Egypt and say, I have ten commandments for you. When I see that you follow them well, I have ten plagues I can unleash. Then I will set you free. That's not what God says. The young says, actually, that is the anti-gospel. That's not the story of Exodus. As saved people, he gives them the law. I find this really helpful, even just for myself as I've been preparing this, because I think, and, and apologies if I'm uh, imposing my wrong impressions of Scripture on you all, um, but I have found that tension in, in the past of, well, well, when we read Exodus, okay, we see law, but how do we read that now as people see it by grace through Jesus Christ? And I find stuff like this really helpful, uh, that, that we see God's goodness in giving the law. It is a gracious act to give the law. See, he rescues them, and then as saved people, he gives them the law. Um, we will turn to Scripture, I, I promise, soon. Uh, but if I can quote one more theologian, he's slightly better known for some of us. Paul Williamson, who's a member here, lives in Sydney, works as a theologian, writes massive books on Exodus. Uh, and so I, we should have zoomed him in. Um, but Paul said, what Israel must do for Yahweh, and, as in. How they obey the law, what Israel must do for Yahweh, is grounded first and foremost in what Yahweh has already done for Israel. See, God rescued his people, then he gave them the law. They were saved to serve him. As saved people, their lives were then going to be transformed. We sometimes use the language of being saved, then being sanctified. And this is where, in a similar way, we as 21st century Christians, we find ourselves in a similar place. That The the good news of Jesus is that we are offered forgiveness from sin, restoration in our relationship with God, both for now and for all eternity. We're saved by him from the penalty of death that we deserve because of our sin. But he took that sin upon himself, which is a vivid reminder of the lambs that were slain, remember? as, As the... Um, Israelites painted their doorposts with the, the blood of the lamb that were slain in their place so that death may they may be saved from it and in the same way in a, in a greater way Jesus took our sin upon himself as he hung on the tree and all of that was it was a gracious loving act by God to, to satisfy his wrath against our sin and at the same time offering mercy and grace and forgiveness those who repent and so we are saved people those who know and trust jesus we are saved people as an act of grace not of anything we have done to earn it it's an act of grace but, that, but that's not the end of the story see as a result of what god has done in our lives then we're compelled to live differently our hearts are transformed it's why in the new testament we see phrases like this we see in view of god's mercy in romans 12 offer your bodies as a living sacrifice You see the logic there? In view of of God's mercy, in view of what God has done, then we go and live as different people. Be kind and compassionate to one another from Ephesians 4, forgiving one another just as in Christ God forgave you. We have been forgiven and therefore our lives are transformed because of that. And finally, to quote Paul for the last time in Colossians 3, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. The logic's the same, isn't it? As dearly loved people, God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, that's who we are, then our lives are transformed as a result of it. See, it's as a result of the grace and the mercy and the salvation that God has shown to me that my life is now devoted to serving Him and to allowing Him to work in and through my life in the way that He would want to. And we see that in the example of the Israelites. That that the obedience that they're called to is in response to the grace and the favor that they've already been shown, not as a way to earn it. So all of that's perhaps a long-winded way to say that that for those of us, um, God's people today, saved by grace, it is good for us, it is right that we spend time considering the activity and the character of God as we see displayed through the Old Testament, and in this case in Exodus. And that includes understanding our relationship to the law, that it was given to God's people as it was given through God's people in Exodus and through some of the other New Old Testament books. And it's right that we do that because throughout the Old Testament, throughout Exodus, we see God rescuing his people in order that they may serve and worship. And in a spiritual sense, God is still of the same thing. He still saves his people, rescuing them from an eternity of punishment without him to an eternity of glory with him. And so we are saved in order to devote our lives to following him. So so hopefully that shows that Exodus is definitely a book that is worthy of our attention. It is worthy of our time. It is worthy of soaking ourselves in. Because in these chapters we see a vivid picture of God at work in his people. We see his gracious saving work. We see what it means to faithfully follow him as saved people. And those are some of the things that we're definitely going to see as we work through from the end of chapter 15 through to chapter 20. We're going to see the gracious hand of God at work in and through his people as they journey from Egypt to Sinai on their way to the promised land. In other words, to go back to where we started, what we're going to see are some of God's traveling mercies upon the Israelite people. Now, I realize that that's a lot more groundwork, a lot more context-setting than we would normally do. Um, But I hope that it's helpful. Uh, I would really love us to engage with that in a way. So if you want to get in touch with me after, email, text, whatever, uh, to see whether that was helpful or not. Um, But I think it's important for us to recognize as we come to these passages of Scripture that are maybe a little less familiar to us, that we're not coming to a different God. No, we're coming to our gracious Heavenly Father. And we're seeing aspects of his character that lead us to praise and worship. And as we're going to see through these few chapters, we're going to see God's gracious hand. And so I would love us to pause and to reflect again on the grace of God, that amazing grace that we have seen. Not only will we see that in the lives of the Israelites here through this series, but we know it, many of us know it in our own lives. And so I'd love us to pause. We're going to sing Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. I'd invite you to stay seated. Uh, As we sing again, um, even if you just want to reflect on these words as we sing them, it's wonderful. And then uh, we will turn our attention briefly to chapter 15, um, which will lead us and guide us directly into our time of communion. Uh, So let's celebrate God's amazing grace together. Let's sing.